Man, I am excited for what God is doing in this space, and I'm really happy to be with you over the next couple weeks starting a brand new series called Fire and Water. This came out of a message I preached a few weeks ago under the same title as a part of our Rainmaker series. We looked at the book of Ezekiel and this moment of God's fiery revelation to Ezekiel that, that reasserts his authority, reasserts his prominence, that reestablishes God as the God who is not limited to one place, but the God that goes to where his people are. But that revelation for Ezekiel, which called God's people to repentance and called God's people back to, the, to him, wasn't meant to stay with Ezekiel. What God did within him was meant to flow out through him. And we see that in this prophetic image at the end of the book as this little trickle of water flows out from the temple. It picks up um, mass and grows into its, a river until it hits the Dead Sea and turns the Dead Sea to life and, and fruit and life and trees begin to sprout up all around an area that was dead and barren. And the purpose of that and the purpose of this is that what starts in here does not stay in here. It must flow out from here. And that where you see the fire of God in scripture, you almost always see the water that follows it. And the fire of God in this context is simply the, the powerful revelatory presence of God coming to reestablish or reassert his authority or his identity. God will show up in fire. He will knock your socks off. He will pin you to the back of your seat. He will make you silent in awe. But it's not just to impress you. Because there's almost always a moment of God's reviving water that follows. The water of the Spirit of God coming to bring new life, revitalization, provision restoration. When God shows up, he always shows up for a purpose and the purpose is never to keep us the same. Title of the message this evening is from revelation to deliverance. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word of God? We are going to be in Exodus chapter three tonight and we're going to read the first 14 verses. And I believe God has a word for us and I feel if I'm just honest with you, I feel very burdened with this word tonight in a good way, in a way where I expect God to meet us. And in fact, can we just, let, let me, I want to pray before we get into the word. If you'll join me just for a moment, just waiting on God. Lord, would you be here tonight? You are welcome here. Let's read Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 14. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. 
And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said to them, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What am I to say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel I am has sent me to you. Lord, would you help us tonight? And would you meet us, God? Would you move among us tonight? Spirit of the living God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to comprehend. And tonight, Lord, I pray that we would have hearts to receive what you are doing in our midst. Join us, Lord. You are welcome here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All of us throughout the courses of our life have moments that change us forever. Moments that once they happen, we're never the same after them. Some are good. Some are mountaintop moments. Some uh, could be a, a moment in time, actually, a wedding, an anniversary, a promotion, a child's birth. Could be a trip, a missions trip, perhaps, a vacation, an experience in nature with God where something happens where you are just forever altered from within and there's no going back. You have seen or experienced or done something that has changed you forever. Many times these moments that mark us are not mountaintop moments, but they're deep in the valley moments. It could be the death of a loved one who's gone too soon or just the center of your family, or someone who meant so much to you. And they're gone. And your life is never the same. Often it can be a tragedy, set of circumstances that's beyond unfortunate. It could be quite tragic, abuse, or any number of other things. A breakup even. That once it happens, there's no going back. And this marks you and changes you forever. All of us have in our lives defining moments that change us from that point forward. Now, they don't happen often. They're sacred. They're rare. But they happen. And the beauty of these moments, good or bad, is that they change who we are forever. They make us more experienced or more well-rounded, more compassionate, or perhaps less likely to trust or slower to love. But regardless, they change us and they shape us forever. 
Moses' life was full of these types of defining moments. And every single one of them happened for a purpose. If you don't know the story of Moses, I'll summarize quickly just for time. But Moses was Hebrew who was born in Egypt, raised in Egypt. He was from the family of Jacob. And he was born into a time where the more the Hebrew people multiplied and grew, the more Pharaoh would oppress them. Up to the point where when Moses is born, Pharaoh has actually ordered his people to throw every male Hebrew baby into the Nile to kill them. He's trying to stop them from multiplying and growing. And yet in the face of greater oppression, they saw greater multiplication, which is a different sermon than I want to preach tonight. But maybe the days of your greatest growth don't come after the hardship ends, but as you walk through them. This is the environment that boat Moses was born into. As a child, his mother, in an attempt to save him, set him in a basket, places him in the Nile. He ends up being discovered by a daughter of Pharaoh. She raises him. She's the one who gives him the name Moses, which means to draw him out as she drew him out of the waters. So I just want you to think about Moses for a second. He grew up in a time of a tyrant king who was killing the firstborn and the male children of his race. He was an outsider in his own family. He was one of those Hebrews, yet he was raised in an Egyptian household. He grew up in privilege. He grew up in privilege, but his roots were impoverished. In many ways, he grew up a fraud. He wasn't Egyptian, but he was raised as one. He was a Hebrew, but he wasn't accepted as one. He was a part of a people of an amazing heritage of faith, and yet we have no reason to believe he experienced any of that faith in the household that he grew up in. We don't believe he had any, I don't believe he had any encounter with God in his growing up years. And then there's this moment where Moses, raised in an Egyptian household as a Hebrew, not really welcome, accepted, or part of either, sees two, two Hebrew men being attacked by an Egyptian, and he stands on behalf of his Hebrew brothers, strikes down the Egyptian, only for those two men to turn and accost and accuse him and reject him for the murder that he has committed. And hearing that he is killed an Egyptian, Pharaoh turns his back on Moses and seeks to catch him and to kill him. So what does Moses do? Man, he runs away like any of us would. He who flees to Midian and he finds a shepherd and a new family. He marries into the family and he starts his life all over. And I lay all that before you because I want to give you a picture of exactly who Moses was before he was Moses who we thought of. If you want to look for a man in scripture who has more issues with acceptance, identity, family, heritage, self-worth, self-acceptance, self-esteem. You can't look past Moses. All of these things defined and shaped who he was as a man. So if you've grown up in an environment that you think was hard, or caused you some level of trauma, or didn't set you up for success, if you've still got stuff in your life from your childhood that you're getting over, I want you to know you're in good company in the scriptures. You find yourself right at home with a lot of people who are just like you, and I know that so many of us can relate to Moses. We're like the people in Egypt, enslaved to sin, in the bondage of oppression, under the yoke of guilt and shame, crushed under the pressure of expectation and achievement, buried under feelings of depression and anxiety, shackled to addiction. One of us, all of us can find ourselves in one of those places. And then there's something within us 
That when we think about that about ourselves, it causes us to think that because I struggle with these issues, God can't do anything with me yet. In fact, I need to fix these things first before God can use me. But the story of Moses should put that thought right out of your head tonight. Because the moments that defined him did not disqualify him from being used by God. They were the things that God wanted to deliver him from. So that he could use him. The reality in this story that God would choose to come to a deeply conflicted soul. And reveal himself in miraculous power by way of a burning bush in order to use him to deliver his people is an utterly profound reality to me in scripture. And we should not skip over that as though that's just normal. That is profound. And it is what God does with every single one of us. No matter the baggage that you came in with today, God wants to set you free from it. Because he has purposes for you that go far beyond what you think you can be used for. So Moses has this encounter with the fire of God. And if you remember, the fire of God is the presence of God always comes for a purpose. And in this case, it comes to reveal the character and the nature of God to Moses. There's four things I want to look at real fast tonight in this story. Because they show us God's purpose for showing up in fire. I believe that the burning bush reveals who God is. So in this moment, God is revealing himself, his promises, and his purposes to Moses. And the first thing this encounter with the fire of God reveals to Moses is that God is holy. He says, do not come near. This is the voice from the bush. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God is holy, which means he is set apart, which means he is different, which means he is pure, righteous, and undefiled, which means there is none who is like him. There is none who can be like God. He is utterly different from anyone or anything you have ever encountered or heard about. In fact, when Isaiah has a vision of God's temple, he's immediately struck with this reality. And he realizes how unclean he is in contrast to how beautiful and pure God is. He says this. He sees God in his temple. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king. And it takes an angel to come and to purify his unclean mouth, burning away all that which could not exist in the presence of a holy God. The holiness of God impacts what can exist in his presence. That's how holy he is. You can't just walk up on God. You don't just run up on him and barge in and ask him for a favor. This is the holiness of God, utterly different and other than anything we've ever experienced or seen or known. He is so holy that it impacts what can come into his presence. Why is that? Because Peter describes him as clothed in unapproachable light. And darkness cannot dwell where there is light. And sin cannot dwell where there is righteousness. For the holiness of God eradicates the disease of sin. 
So he calls to Moses, take off your shoes. The ground on which you stand is holy. The dirty feet of a shepherd who's been watching after the sheep all day on the mountain of Horeb cannot just walk into my kitchen. He cannot just tread upon my carpet. How much more so? The holy presence of God. But here's the thing about this. He says the ground is holy. Why is the ground holy? Because I thought God was holy. But it says the ground, I thought, it says the ground, don't come in for the ground on which you, I thought the ground was dirty. And I thought that the ground was covered in all the same stuff that Moses' feet was covered in. So what makes that ground holy ground? But the presence of a holy God. God's presence makes that place holy. It makes unclean places like him. When God's presence shows up in a place, that place is, that environment of that place changes to reflect him. That's how holy he is. You bring him into an environment, the environment changes. He doesn't change. Y'all walked into a party in a good mood, showed up, someone was there. You got into a bad mood. That place changed you. Not so with God. He walks into a place and everything in that place changes for him. The presence of God purifies. It makes holy that which is not. And that means you who, were call, who have called upon the name of the Lord. You who have been adopted into the family of God. You who have been blood-bought and redeemed. You who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You have the presence of God within you, which means he purifies you. When Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he made him, God made Jesus, the one who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what he means. He means when God's presence comes upon you, he changes you. He purifies you. He makes you holy, which gives new meaning to that passage we all wrestle with in the scripture that says, you must be holy as I am holy. And we all go, I don't know how to do that, Lord. How am I supposed to be holy? Until you realize maybe that's not about your behavior being perfect all the time, but you being with God all the time. And if his presence is with you, then he makes you holy for he is holy. And his presence purifies that which it touches. God is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. And he is undefiled. And his presence purifies. Moses continues his conversation with God, who then says, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and to a broad land. The first thing we see is that God is holy. The second thing we see is that God is aware. He tells Moses, I've seen the afflictions of my people. Remember, his people are enslaved and under oppression that is growing day by day says, I've seen them. In fact, I've heard their cry and I know about their sufferings. And I need you to know this important truth tonight, that wherever you find yourself, 
God is not unaware. He is not asleep on the job. He sees you. In fact, he hears your cry and he knows of your suffering. He's not unaware. He's not unaware. He's not blind and he is not deaf. He is aware. He sees you. And I'm going to stay on this because I need you to feel it in your soul, not just hear it in your ears. He sees you where you are in the mess that you're in, in the pain that you're in, and in the struggle that you're in. He sees you. And when you cry out, even though your prayer hasn't been answered yet, that doesn't mean he's turned his ear off to you. He hears you. He hears you. In fact, he doesn't just hear you. He knows of you. He knows of you, which means he's concerned with you. He's not concerned by you. He's concerned with you. At the end of Exodus 2, which is obviously right before what we just read, there's this incredible little stanza that I want to read to you. It lies, it, 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 let's just read it. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery, it came up to God and God, he heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I just, I'm going to minister this point as long as it takes. God hears the cry of his people and he sees them and he knows of them. And what does that cause him to do? It causes him to remember the promise that he made to you. He doesn't just hear you and go, man, he's whining again. He's complaining. No, he hears you. He hears the cry. He sees you where you're at. He knows of you. And what does that produce in a righteous and a holy God? It produces remembrance of the covenant that he made to you. He remembers the promise. He knows. He knows. He knows. And he remembers. And him remembering the promise causes him to move towards you. Verse 8, he says, I have come down. I have come. You didn't come up to me. I came down to you. I need you to know we're not trying to get to God. He is coming to us. Because he sees you and he hears you and he knows you and he remembered the promise that he made to you. Listen, it is not your word that moves God. It's his word. What he said comes to pass. He does not utter a word that does that returns void. He is not a man that he should lie. He is not the son of man that he should change his mind about you. If he has said a thing, he will do a thing. If he has not issued, uh, what is it? If he has not, uh, uh, oh man, spoken it, will he not fulfill it? It is the character of God that spurs him to action, not your character. My God, this set me free this week as I studied it. When I realized that in all the groaning and all the prayer and all the yearning and all the seeking after God and the inviting him into my pain and to heal me and to help me. And when I feel like, God, I don't know if you're moving or helping or fixing or going, I'm going, it's not because I'm not praying hard enough. It's not because I'm not trying hard enough. It's not because I'm such a sinner. He's just making it last longer to punish me. It doesn't have anything to do with that. He says, I see you, I hear you, I know of you, and I remember what I promised you. I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. 
<sighs> he comes down to bring us up into a good land and into a broad land. So Moses, who has just been told, I'm going to send you to deliver my people. I've come down to bring you up, and I'm going to send you, Moses. Moses goes, well, who am I that I should go? How can I bring up the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt? And Moses, like any of us, doubts himself. Who am I sh- that I should do this? That I, could, that I could even do this? Not even that I should. God, you chose me, but I don't know that I can. And God answers his question by ignoring it. Did you notice that? God, who am I that I should do it? I am with you. No, you missed it. (laughs) Uh, Who am I, God, that I should go to Pharaoh and convince him to deliver your people? Who am I, God? I don't have a family and identity or anything. I'm not an Egyptian. Pharaoh hates me. I don't represent the Hebrews. They don't accept me. God, who am I? I've been away for 40 years. They don't even know me. Who am I? It's not about you. It's about who you're with. And if you're with the right person, the right God, and you carry him with you, it doesn't, it does not matter who you are. It matters who he is. And who he is, number three, is he's with you. I will be with you. He doesn't say that to you like I say it to my sons. I'll be with you in a moment. I'm with you guys. Just give me a second. I clean up. I got to do some work. I got to take the trash out. I got to feed the dog. And then I'll get to you. He's not, he's not making us wait. It's not I'll be with you in five minutes. I'll be with you in a moment. It's I am, will be, and will remain with you. That means Moses is a man who walks with God. So no matter what situation he finds himself in, When Moses walks into it, he brings God with him into it. And that's not exclusive for Moses. That is true of every single one of you who have called upon the name of the Lord. Any situation you find yourself, if you are a man or woman who walks with God, anywhere you go, you bring him with you because he is with you. Not he's going to get to you. Not he's going to be there in a moment. He is with you now. And we act like Moses all the time. We're asking God the wrong question. How am I going to do it? And what's it going to look like? And what are the steps it's going to take? And how will it happen? And when is it going to happen, by the way? And who am I? I'm not good enough because I sinned this morning, so you couldn't possibly use me. Do you need to use somebody else? Can it wait until later? What's it going to cost? How do I do what you're asking me to do? But the questions we ask God should not have anything to do with our capability or qualifications. The questions we should ask ourselves, rather, should be, who am I going with? Am I going with God or am I not going with God? Because if I'm going with God, then I know that he is with me. And if I'm going into the biggest battle of my life, you best believe I'm going to bring some of the biggest dudes in my life. You think my first call is in J.C. Stevenson, you've lost your mind. Darby be my last call. Don't laugh at my man in church, okay? I love you guys. 
Because if God is with you, then you have everything you need to have victory. Because God doesn't lose. His purposes prevail on the earth. To experience the deliverance of God and the healing of God, to win the greatest spiritual battles of your life, you've got to remember it's not about who you are, it's about who he is. So then Moses asks, well, then who exactly are you? Remember, I don't think Moses had any deep background or encounter or experience with God. Who shall I say sent me then? Who sh- what shall I say? Who are you? Number four, God is who he is. <laughs> the phrase in Hebrew here, I am who I am. It means I am what I am or I will be what I will be. It is a profound revelation and a statement about the character of God that whatever he is, he will always be that. Says God saying that I am and will continue to be what I am and will forever be. Whatever character traits I display, I am those things. And I will always be those things. And this is really important for us to grasp because that's very different from the way that you and I are. Who are only sometimes what we are. I'll be nice tonight. But if you don't believe me, get married. Or move in with somebody. And that person that was your best friend who you thought was so clean and so great, you realize they are so clean. Sometimes. And they always remember. Sometimes. And that spouse that's so funny. All of a sudden, not so funny anymore. And that wife that's so thoughtful, you realize she can't be thoughtful all the time. And you realize that what we are, even at our best and most defining characteristics about ourselves, he's a worshiper. Yeah, sometimes. Because we are only ever what we are some of the time. God is what he is all of the time. And what he is, as revealed through this passage and through the Bible, is what he is, is he is with you. He is holy. He's a God who sees you. He's a God who redeems you. He's a God who comes to you. He is a God who is not far from you. He's a God who does not leave you, nor does he forsake you. And he is not that sometimes. He is that all the time. And this is where you've got to disassociate the way you feel in a moment from what you know about the character of God. Because you might feel like he's far from you, but the word says he is what he is all the time. And the word says that he's with me. So even though he feels far from me, maybe that's a lie I'm believing. And maybe the reality is that actually he's with me even in this. And he has purpose for me even here. So we need to look at God for a moment with all of this in mind and rightly consider who exactly he is. Because he goes to great lengths to reveal to Moses that he is holy, he is aware, he is with you, and he is what he is and he always will be what he always will be. You've got to ask yourself, why does God go to such great lengths to reveal himself to Moses like this? And I believe it's because God has purpose hidden within Moses that only a revelation of the presence and character of God could draw out of him. What do I mean? I mean, what I mean by that is that Moses would have never left Midian if God hadn't showed up to him. There is no chance Moses goes back to Egypt unless he knew he was going back with God. 
And so God has to reveal himself in fire, in a burning bush, in a miracle, in a moment to reassert to Moses who he is so Moses could understand who he was supposed to be. This is profound. To me, I'm not going to like, I didn't come up with it. I'm, I preached to myself this week. He sees, hears, remembers, and knows of the way his people are suffering. And he is concerned with it. And he declares that he is going to deliver them out of it. And how is he going to do that? What's he saying in verse 10? I will send you, Moses. How does God bring about his deliverance? He sends someone to do something about it. God's ultimate purpose for Moses was to use him to lead God's people through the waters of the Red Sea. This was the purpose. This is what all of this is going. The fire of God's revelation at the burning bush was for the purpose of God's deliverance through the water of the Red Sea. There's the fire and there's the water. The fire at the bush draws something out of Moses, defining who God is and who God is within him. So that Moses had within him the presence of God going with him to deliver God's people out of slavery, out of oppression, out of bondage, through the waters of the Red Sea and into the their promised land, and their destiny. That's the purpose of the fire. And when he gets them on the other side of the Red Sea, does he close up the waters and cut off the Egyptians from them? Does he put a barrier between his people and their uh, persecutors? No. Because if he did that, They would just build boats or get boats, go across the sea, and continue their pursuit. So what God does in the moment is he allows the Egyptians into the water so that those waters that delivered the Israelites would eradicate the Egyptians. So that that which was pursuing God's chosen people could no longer pursue them. Do you hear what I'm saying? Not that they wouldn't. Not that it would be difficult. That they could not because they no longer existed. This is what God's will for your life is. He desires to set you free. He desires to reveal himself to you that you would know him and who you're with and whose you are. That you would understand something about the almighty God that he could deliver you out of the bondage of sin. Out of the oppression of the enemy. Out of the slavery of addiction. He wants you free. And he sees you where you are. And he sees you where you struggle. And he sees you where you cannot get out of the cycle that you're in. And he says, I see them. I hear them crying out. I know about them. And I remember the promise that I have made to them. So I'm going to come and deliver them. And how does God deliver them? He sends somebody to do something about it. So when Jesus shows up thousands of years later, and he's baptized in the river Jordan, and the dove descends on his head, and the voice of God confirms him, and that same spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days as he fasts, proving that he can overcome the temptation of the enemy, which no other man had ever done. Jesus then strolls into the temple. He picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads these words aloud, the purpose statement of Jesus Christ himself. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's appointed, he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God wants to see you healed. He wants to see you delivered. He wants to see you set free. He wants your eyes opened. He wants the good news proclaimed to you. And he has sent somebody to do something about it. And the blood of Jesus, just like the blood of the lamb on the doorpost in Egypt, caused the angel of death to pass over God's people. So does the blood of Jesus marked over our lives, cause the angel of death of sin to pass over us. See, the Israelites were washed and delivered by water. You're washed and delivered by blood. And he doesn't just take your sin and put distance between you and it. He doesn't just separate you from it and put it. He eradicates it completely so that that which once persecuted you and held you in bondage and oppression, not that it can't or it would be hard to get back to you, but it can no longer. It is no longer there. This is the work of Jesus on the cross shown to us in the story of Moses in the wilderness. We have the better Moses, the better deliverer, the better leader. We have the one who stands up not to Pharaoh, but to the devil. Who looks not at slavery, but at all sin, all that it encompasses. And he says, I will set the captive free. I will deliver them. I will heal them. I will come to them. the will of God for your life to be set free it is for freedom I have set you free I have come that they would have life and that they would have it abundantly would you stand to your feet with me I don't know what you're in here battling tonight I don't know what it is that's got you jammed up I don't know if it's fear, anxiety. I don't know if it's lust, anger, a need for control. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's ego and image that changes everything you do and you can't do anything naturally. You gotta filter everything through a filter. Maybe it's depression, a cloud you can't get out from under. Maybe it's addiction. Jesus delivers you from all of it. Not some of it. He delivers you from all of it. He is holy. He is unlike anything you have ever seen, anything you have ever known, anything you have ever imagined. And when he steps foot into a place, that place changes according to him. He purifies it. He makes it new. He makes it clean, the purifying fire like the angel in Isaiah that burns away that which is not of God comes, it touches you, it, it burns away that which is not of God, it makes you clean, it purifies you. And for all of your life, you have heard the voice of the devil ask you how you're going to get over this and what you're going to do about it. And he's accused you of being one who's not been able to get free yet. 
And he's told you over and over, has he not? He has told you over and over how inadequate and incapable and poor you are at trying to do the things that you think you ought to do for God. That's the voice, that's the voice I've lived under. I'm sure it's the voice you've lived under. It's the voice of the accuser that says you can't get out from this. You've tried. Like all men in history, you've tried. And you can't either. And he tells you that there's no hope for you. There's no way out for you. And you know what? He's partially right. There is nothing you can do to get out from under the yoke of bondage and oppression. But there's one who has done it for us. And so when you hear the voice that says, what are you going to do? You respond with, it's already been done. I don't have to do a thing. When he says, who's going to pay for your sin? You say, it's already been paid for. My bill's clean. My tab is clear. When he says, how are you going to get free? You said, I've already been given freedom in Jesus' name. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am the righteousness of God. I am a co-heir of Christ. Whatever he has appointed for me, he has adopted me as a son and as a daughter. And what he gives to Jesus is what he gives to me. And so there is no need for me to listen to the voice that tells me what I'm not. I listen to my God who tells me whose I am. And there's a freedom I want us to ask God for in this place tonight. And what it takes is that we need to repent of wrong mindsets and wrong views of God that we've had. We've got to just tell God, God, I'm sorry. I thought you were punishing me and I ought to know better because that's not your character. We got to tell God, man, it's maybe it's not you who's inconsistent, Lord. Maybe it's me who's inconsistent. And maybe if I looked back over the trauma of my life, and maybe if I took a moment to reflect over the course of the story that I have lived, maybe if I looked at it with new eyes, I wouldn't see a God who was absent, but a God who was actually present and divinely ordaining over every detail in the moments. And the fact that I'm still here today must mean that my God is with me, was with me, and will be with me. Because who he is, is who he always will be. Because he is who he is. And then we've got to come out of agreement with some mindsets that we've had. I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray to God. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to ask God to do what God does, which is to minister deliverance in this place tonight. Father, you see your church and you see your people. You have heard their cry. You know of their situation. You know of the bondage that they have walked in. You know of the addictions that they have struggled with. You know of the mindsets they have held which have been unhealthy and wrong. You know of the patterns of abuse that they've allowed themselves uh, to be... mm, The patterns of abuse that they have walked in. You are aware of the pain. And the believing are lies that we have allowed ourselves to believe because it's just easier to put the blame on you than it is to take ownership of our responsibility in a moment to call upon the lame of the Lord and to trust him in the difficult places. But even the story of the Israelites is that our greatest growth doesn't come after we're delivered. Our greatest growth comes when we're in the pain and the hardship. 
So Lord, forgive us. And we proclaim the blood of Jesus over every person here tonight. We proclaim the liberty of Jesus that sets captives free over every person here tonight. We pray the healing blood of Jesus over every person in pain that is here tonight. Jesus, do what you have always done in this place. Proclaim good news to the poor. Set at liberty the captive. Open the eyes of the blind. Do, God, what only you can do in the name of Jesus. And I want you to ask God specifically for you wherever you are what the thing is that he is trying to release from you. Nobody can do it for you but Jesus. And I don't know y'all well enough individually to know what to pray for specifically. But you do. And the word of God says the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. I'm not the righteous man. We have been made the righteousness of God. Which means your prayers are as effective as mine or anybody else up here. All you need to do is bring faith to it. Faith to believe. As Moses believed. This God that I have encountered, he's a holy God. He is a pure God. He's a God who knows me and sees me where I am. He is a God who was with me, who has always been with me. For ehwe esher ehwe. I am who I am, says the Lord. There is power in the name of God. Chain-breaking power. Wall-breaking down power. Resurrection power. Addiction-breaking power. There is an authority in the word of God that when a man oppressed by many demons came to him it wasn't a long prayer meeting from Jesus it wasn't an exhortation from scripture it was one word the word was go and the demon left I don't need to strive in prayer God I need to stand on the word go and to you who cannot sleep at night because your sleep is interrupted every night and you feel the oppression in your household I say to that demonic oppression over your life, one word, the word Jesus said, go. In the name of Jesus, go. To you who are suffering chronic pain, illness in your back, in the abdomen as Pastor Tiff prophesied tonight. It's one word in the name of Jesus. It's not many words, it's one word. The word is go. Go from here in the name of Jesus. Be released. You who have battled with addiction your whole life, you who can get out of it on your own strength it's one word the word of the Lord and the word is go go from here broken in the name of Jesus by the authority of Christ by the blood of the lamb redeemed blood-bought believers standing before a holy God reformed and remade in his image that is who we are in his presence no longer a slave to sin now alive in Christ those under a cloud of depression riddled with anxiety locked up in fear the word of the Lord to the cloud to the anxiety and to the fear is go Jesus when he was on the boat with the disciples and the winds and the waves and the raging storm and the chaos and the panic and the freaking out and the disciples wondering we're going to die we're going to make it what's going on what are we going to do he wakes up and he says peace 
be still. To you battling in that area right now, I say the words of Jesus to you, the power of the Almighty God behind them. Peace to you. Be still, your racing heart. His voice has the power to calm wind and waves. His voice has the power to calm your anxious thoughts. Peace. Be still. Lord, would you minister to us directly in this moment for those things I don't have by name here. Spirit of the living God, would you call, come and fall afresh? Would you wipe away every tear from every eye? Would you release those who have carried so much shame and so much guilt into this place? Would they know that we who confess our sins to a faithful God, you, God, are faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us? All you got to do, folks, is just repent and trust that God has forgiven you and purified you. This is the will of the Lord for your life. He wants to see you set free.